Alan Farmer with you on today's show. Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinneys. It's a celebration of all things food, from produce to the plate. We were speaking to Chef Solomon Haddad about the effect of a Michelin star on his restaurant, Moonrise. June's Chef Kelvin creating lunchboxes with his son, Bodhi. Prepare to feel very jealous of a nearly five-year-old. Expect some inspiration there. We had Alex Holtham joining us from What's On. Talk about the latest food news. Restaurants opening around town and where to bag a bargain this weekend. And is it possible to be environmentally friendly while running a restaurant? Cassette is on a mission, finding out more, everything from what the chefs are wearing to what's happening in the kitchen. Friends uniting French and Japanese flavours in downtown. And we were meeting the Truffle Man of Dubai. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the people behind the food, the voices behind the food. And what a voice, what a perspective we have for you this afternoon. Chef Solomon Haddad is here, the founder of Moonrise and the proud holder of a Michelin star. How are you, Chef? Good, good. How are you? I'm really grateful for your time this afternoon. I'm, I'm really well. Thank you for asking. I know Fridays are hectic in okay. the world of F&B. Um, but how has summer been? You know, when we think about... I feel like this last couple of weeks, Dubai has suddenly been like, whoosh, back, you know, everyone's back. But how do you plan not as, for... Not as back as before, but like, I don't know, we, we've just, for us, from, from, for the restaurant point of view, we, des- we always, we designed the business model that if we're like at 85% capacity, then we're still very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And like opening in summer means you're going to be at 85% capacity. So we're, we're good. We're actually, hit, we're actually hitting more than what we would have expected at this time. So we're very, we're very grateful for everyone that's coming back so soon. Good, good. <laughs> from now, vacations. For anyone that's not familiar with Moonrise as a concept, and are you able to give us a little overview of your location, the size, and I guess your foodie philosophy? chef um <laughs> if you wouldn't mind in a nutshell <laughs> can we break it down into a more 100 percent. you tell us <laughs> sure no as in can you break down the question into yeah, more of course so tell us a little bit about the decision to have such a small restaurant how many seats do okay you have? so let's start there so small restaurant um so actually the space was offered offered to us and like we were so mind blown when we saw the space and like i literally remember i was 24 at the time and i saw the space and at the time it was just a bar for the for the pool and it was just a space that they didn't really know what they were going to do with and I literally stood at the entrance of that door and I saw my future there I don't know how to explain it like this insane gut feeling I just saw my future in that space and it was just a 52 square meter glass box and I was like whatever are my dreams I can make it happen in that in this space I just got that feeling Mm -hmm. you know and instantly I was like guys because usually you can't have a business on a rooftop I was like guys if you get me an ijari for this I'm signing now and uh, went home. We didn't speak a single word. We were like, whoa, what an amazing space. And me and Ms. Bah, who, uh, who helps run the restaurant, uh, he runs it from more of the outside. Um, and we ended up opening the restaurant there. And it's only tw- it used to be a nine-seater, then we turned it into a 12-seater. And like again, the business model is designed in a way that this is how we want it and this is how it's run and it, it runs in a healthy way this way. And we just really love having such a small capacity because we have a one-to-one ratio, one employee for each each guest. And that really allows us to provide a level of consistent precision that I don't think is easily attainable if you don't do a one-to-one ratio. So when you saw that location, was it like a kind of you know beautiful mind moment and things started just kind of coming together? Did you start to even think about what dishes I would serve in this space? Was it, was it that precise at that time? Not necessarily dishes. I'm always like the kind of person who's like, okay, I'm going to get there and I made the executive decision that this is going to happen somehow, like whatever, one day I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I don't know how I'm going to get there. So I didn't look at the space and go like, oh, that's the menu, this, the, that. I just looked at the space and I'm like, okay, if mission comes to Dubai, we can get a star here. We can 
hopefully this is still on the checklist be one of the best restaurants in the world in that space I believe we can do that um, and I um, sorry my phone's ringing I'm going to put it's it okay. away busy um, man <laughs> and um, and yeah it's just like more like seeing the space and go like man I can do whatever I want here like I, I, I just it's just a very strong gut feeling so it's more like follow the gut feeling blindly and see where pull the thread and see where it takes you We've got Chef Solomon Haddad with us today, founder of Moonrise. Um, let's talk food, because okay. as you said there, the, the way you are able to create that menu, we've got a new menu, which we're talking about shortly. You're a third culture kid. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we've talked about in the past, your perspective, your influences. Um, what what did you, when you're looking back and you think about the menu you put together initially, what were you trying to say with it? and how Initially, was, yeah, this one or the first ever The everyone? very first one. And how has that evolved? The very first one. I think, you know, I always say this like, when I get asked this question, which is like every subsequent menu, every new day, every new dish, every improvement, every tweak has to better answer the question, who are we and what are we doing and why are we doing this? So like, I think back then we're just like following the vibe, like where are we going? Ah, let's just cook this. We feel, And then the more we just do whatever we felt like doing, the more we realize, oh, there's a criteria. We're consistently representing the region while using Japanese and French ingredients and techniques. And then we started like, we start again, like as we started tweaking, we started understanding ourselves more. So before it was like, oh, whatever I want to cook. And with this third culture way of thinking, I just created these random dishes, which were their own kind of thing. Um, but... Um, but and there now, was no like <laughs> fixed criteria at the time. Now there is. Back then it was like whatever I want. You came to the kitchen, I guess, kind of later in life, to be honest. And I, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. in front of me now. How old yeah, are you? 26, 27? 27. 27. <laughs> 27. <laughs> so you're still young. But a lot of the chefs I speak to, they're like, yeah, I was working in the kitchen at 13. You know, I, I yeah, quit yeah, school yeah. at 15. Yeah. Tell us about the, the journey to your 20s and that. Was there a mentor involved? Was there a light bulb moment? There, actually, one of my biggest struggles was I never had consistent mentorship. So like I always felt a lot on my own, but I would say that it also kind of helped a lot because f- the the answer was always figure it out. And like now, whenever there's an emergency in Moonrise, I don't get stressed. I'm like, oh, don't worry. like everyone's like, oh my god, chef, what are we gonna do? I'm like, don't worry, don't worry. Like we're gonna figure it out, you know. Like mm-hmm. so, not having mentorship has always made me figure it out, made me have that kind of mentality. Uh, don't ask for solutions, figure it out yourself. Um, but that 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 kind of helped me learn and grow faster. Um, but I, I was in university, and like I never wanted to go to uni. But like I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished school. My dad was like, "You have to go to uni." I'm like, okay, sure, I'll go to uni. And like, what my, did you study? Sorry, what I studied international relations. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, I don't know what happened. Like one three weeks before my university finished, like before I got the diploma. I don't know, something popped in my head. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore because I felt like I was doing everything in my life for other people, not for me. And I was like, I'm not doing, even now I'm getting goosebumps saying this. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I, um, I don't oh, know, I feel quite I, sick. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should, I don't know if I can say this on camera, on, on camera, on, 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 I basically stole my dad's credit card and I went, and I went to London. I'm like, listen, man, I'm doing what I want to do. You can support me or I'm on the streets, but I'm doing what I want to do. And if, if you support that, I'll finish university, you take that degree, you'll be happy. So it's almost, almost like a, a hold-up situation. Oh, what, what did you do in London and then? What? Nothing. I just I just stayed at a friend's places, hopping friends, different friends' places because I had nothing. I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I just knew that I wanted to cook. Like, I don't know. I, I, I just felt that I wanted to cook six months before that decision to leave uni. And then I ended up just going to cooking school, finished university, never picked up my degree. Not, no, nothing wrong against the university I went to. It's just universities, just school environments are not, these fixed box environments are not for me. And uh, I just ended up finishing university the day after my last final exam. I started working. 
literally the day I finished my thing. My last day of uni was the 14th of December, 2019. I started working 17th of December, 2019. So three days later. Well, the payoff, <laughs> it's, it's there because we're talking Moonrise this afternoon. They got that star. Tell us about getting that Michelin star. Um, How do you find out? How are you informed? So you don't get informed. You just get an email and the email is like, hey, you're coming to the Michelin event. And like, I, I don't recall if they did it this year, but last year, on the email it says, Chef Suleiman himself only has to come and he can bring a plus one. But then that year I won a personal award which was the young chef. So I don't recall what, what if it was the same thing this year, but like it's like a, a confidential invite with like strict information and you just go there and you don't know what's going on and you make sure you're not late. Oh. And uh, like that's that's all you know. So like from the minute you get the email to like the Michelin event, you're like, what what's going on? Yeah, what am I? All what's the next? chefs in Dubai like chatter, 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 chatter. I, chatter. I, I, I like for me like when, whenever Michelin season is nearby, I actually don't get stressed at all because I actually have a tactic. I work extra hard, so I actually don't have time to process any information regarding Michelin. Mm-hmm. I don't read any WhatsApp groups that talk about Michelin. I don't read the news. I don't anything. So the first Michelin year, when I won the Young Chef two years ago almost, I didn't sleep that night. This year, I slept like a baby because I didn't even remember there was a mission event because I on purpose put so much work because I didn't want to remember it, you know? So your name goes up on the screen, Moonrise. What was that like? It was, um, I don't know, it was like, I don't know, everyone was, that day was like, how do you feel? I don't know how I feel. Like, I, it was like, just in, in that moment, you're just like going with the, 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 the current of the wave, you know, of the, of the river. You don't know, you're just going with it. You don't know what's happening. Um, but like, like, you really start feeling like, whoa, what just happened? Like two weeks and, and, and later, you know? So the first two weeks, you're like, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. You, you still haven't processed it yet, you know? So I guess it took some time to process it. Have you seen an impact on bookings as a result of that? Um, you see it? an impact, like in, really in a, in a holistic way. You see an impact on bookings. You see uh, an increased credibility both inside the industry and from your guests. Um, you, you start gaining more uh, respect, which... It's always a nice thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that anyone was not nice to me, but like you just get more credibility overall, you know. And it just like it just makes you. It made me at least feel like what I'm doing is being validated holistically by my guests, by Michelin, by Dubai, by this, by that. And it just gives you that confidence to do whatever you want more, you know. So it it it, it almost allows you. It almost like allows you to be yourself more. I you know, that because I think I've heard from some people that they've they've felt almost restricted in some ways of, of like fearing so further judgment. the day before the Michelin event, I had a meeting with the guys and I was like, guys, we need to remember that we want this validation from them, but we ha- always have to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. And actually that's what Michelin wants. They want, they want restaurants to cook for the city, for the market, for whatever. Mm-hmm. And we just really make sure that we, we use this validation and this energy to be ourselves more, not to go like, oh my God, now we're a Michelin star restaurant. We, we have to, we can't move left. We, I'm not going to lie. I'm more cautious about changing dishes. I'm more, I work harder on changing the menu. There's a lot more work that goes into it because there is an increase in standard. But in terms of what I cook, no, nah, I do whatever I want. Like my food is always high on salt and high on acid. And like a lot of times when restaurants, like they grow, they end up like for being more subtle in flavor. I love punchy flavors. We made sure that we, for example, don't get rid of that kind of signature touch because that's what got us a mission star in the first place. I was just about to say, let's talk about the food that got you that star. Now you've got some... I would imagine some favorites on that menu that regular yeah. guests would be like, if you dare take yeah, yeah. the cheese toasty off, for example. Yes, like, yes, like, yes. That grilled cheese can never leave. Yes. Um, you haven't had it, I think. I've, I haven't had it. I've yeah. seen a picture. You've heard of it. I've heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of it because I've got foodie friends who are like, 
well, we're going to go for this. And then when you started doing the pairing, you know, yeah. like this is just, you know, next level. How do you decide what comes off and what goes on? Because you need to be thinking about, as you're saying, you know, a tasting menu that needs to be working all the way through. So I think one of the, with the strengths we have, first of all, as a restaurant is that it's not only that we listen to feedback, we really love feedback, you know, like I love it. And like whenever people give me feedback, like sometimes it's not in goodwill and you know someone is just being like condescending. You just give them their moment and you say thank you so much. You don't make a fuss about it. But a lot of times you see that people want to give you feedback because they genuinely love what you're doing and they genuinely want you to be better and they're giving you genuine feedback and we love that. And I always and they're always a bit shy to being like, hey, like, can I... I'm like, I want to be the best. You're going to help me be the best. Tell me what, you're, what you thought. So I think that's one of the first things. We, we love feedback. We are very attentive to feedback. Of course, you have to filter what to take and what not to take. But I think we're also good at that. And um, we do a lot of test dinners before the menu. Okay. So like when we, we ran a test week before we launched this menu, and one of our signature dishes had to be removed. Which one? It was, a, it was a fish dish with Emirati spices and brown butter. And we had to remove it because even though as an independent dish, it may have been our strongest dish, in context of the whole story, the menu is saying it was the weakest dish. You know, and you have to think about how these guys click together. Mm-hmm. You know, like last menu, I had, we had an issue where I, everyone that had the dessert thought it was amazing. But on the menu was a bit too heavy because the hot dishes were too heavy. So this menu were more mindful of the last desserts being smaller less rich and more on the acidic and fresh and less sweet side. Ooh. So it's all about how these dishes click together. That's that's more important than the signature dishes. So it was hard to remove a signature dish, but I'll come back, I'm sure. Big picture. So what's going on? What are you excited to be serving up? Um, we've kept, obviously, like our classics that like I really think people would kill me if I take off. Like <laughs> our bread, our explosion, like our first course, our Dubai internationalized version of a pani puri, our grilled cheese, which you've heard about. Um... And then we've facelifted a third of the menu and we've completely changed the third of the menu. So we always do this. Keep, keep a third that we think people want to come back for. Facelift a third, meaning make it look better, make it taste better, adjust it, and then completely replace a third. So what's new? What's new? Um, we have this... Um, wait, what's new? Oh, we have this dish. I love this dish so much. It's, um, it's a ravioli dish. And like basically when I was a kid... We wanted to make a dish that represented Dubai food scene in the 90s when we didn't have a lot of good restaurants, you know. Um, and like, how long have you been in Dubai? 16 years. So do you remember Encounter Zone in Wafi Mall? Uh, yes, weirdly. Yeah. So I was like <laughs> nine years old. I'd go to, it was so scary for me, but I would go to the rollerblading area and like I would like leave and I'd be full of blood and cuts and now because yeah. I was like rollerblading. And then I go to Vanelli's. I don't know if you remember Vanelli's, like the fast food Italian. I'll eat that Alfredo pasta with like, sometimes with shrimp, sometimes with chicken, chicken sometimes yeah. with jalapeno. So we're like, we have to make a dish about Alfredo pasta back in the day in Dubai. So we basically made this like ravioli with lobster and jalapeno. And then all around is a sauce that we make with out of rotisserie chicken. And then another sauce that we make out of the rind of aged Parmesan. Ooh. So it's like very rich. It's intense. It's powerful. Big umami. But it's so nost- yeah, big umami, but it's so nostalgic. Oh, I've got one minute left. Chefs, yes. I want to know from you, last meal on earth. I'm going to send you to a desert island. The food's absolutely Easy. terrible. Easy? Easy. Tell me. Pak Darbar in al is my favorite restaurant in Dubai. Pakistani food is my favorite food in the world. Uh, chapli kebab. Chapli kebab is a, is a, is a Pakistani uh, type of like minced meat that's like, it's meat and bone marrow that's deep fried. So it's not good for your heart. <laughs> but, worth it. but it's amazing. That's, that's like, when I'm having a bad day, that's what I have. 
Chef, it's been an absolute pleasure to see you. Chef Thank Solomon you so much. from Moonrise. As we said, just 12 seats and yeah, it gets busy. Get back to the kitchen, Chef. Massively you so appreciate much. your time. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Prepare to feel very hungry indeed. We're talking lunch boxes. We're talking one of Dubai's hottest menus. And in studio, it's Chef Kelvin Young. He has taken Dubai by storm with the award-winning restaurant dunes. It's number 44 in World's 50 Best. Thank you very much in the MENA region. But I think it's safe to say the other job you have, Chef, is maybe more important as dad to Bodhi. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for the cookies. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the secret to uh, to a great cookie. Now, they're not on the menu. I'm very lucky. You heard our chat about chocolate chip cookies and wanted to throw your hat into the ring. I did. I was like, if there's going to be cookies going around, I need to make a cookie for you. So what makes them so darn good? Um, for me, it's about texture. It's about balance of sweetness and savory. Um, so you'll notice that we did use brown butter for ours, um, which it gives it that crazy umami kind of flavor. Um, good amount of salt, um, as well as the texture. So they're not your typical chunky kind of cookies. They're like the flat, little bit kind of crispy on the outside, yeah. chewy and soft and gooey in the middle. And you get that nice crunch of sea salt on there top. So. Excellent. Now, we are going to be talking about lunchboxes very soon. You've got your boy that I'm sure is probably the luckiest kid in Dubai to have <laughs> Chef Calvin as his dad making his lunchboxes. But before we get to that, how long has June's been open now? We've been open for a year now. <gasps> That's gone fast. Yeah. Or, right? has it, or has it? It's been a blur. Um, it's been a very blessed year. And uh, we're very thankful to be in Dubai. And we're very thankful that we've been embraced by uh, so many well-wishers uh, and supporters in Dubai. You are, when I say beloved, there are people who will come and have your chocolate chip pancakes every single yeah. week who are like, I'm going downtown to have brunch with Chef Calvin and then I'll probably go there for dinner during the week as well. <laughs> you, you re- like you really, really have. Um, so I just want to say congratulations. But Thank in you. terms of how you think about how it's evolved, you know, reflecting on that first year of, of being in business, what have some of your big takeaways been? It's uh, learning the actual Dubai scene. It's such a d- dynamic, uh, fast-moving, modern kind of scene where it's ever-evolving and ever-changing. And what I had to kind of figure was what and where my place would be in the scene. Now, there's an insane amount of amazing chefs, amazing restaurants, all serving their amazing respective food and cuisines. And for me, I wanted to create a space where it was very much so me and my vision of what I wanted to cook now. So what's fun about what we're doing is it's such a third culture kitchen where you can't put our cuisine in a box. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not about uh, culture. It's not about my heritage, but it's about my entire journey. So you'll see and taste flavors from my father's kitchens, from my mother cooking, um, things that I ate growing up as a kid in Canada and the US, but also part of my journey. Um, and my journey has led me across the globe and to Belgium and Europe, back to Canada, to the US, and even some time in India. And all of that kind of just plated and served to you with, of course, the best ingredients in a really fun, cool vibe with great drinks, great service. And like you said, it's supposed to be that place where it becomes your go-to spot mm-hmm. any time of the week. And if it's a date night, if it's a catch-up, if it's a girls' night, or even a business meeting, um, this should be your place to go. And it is for so, so many people. And I think 
we've seen a lot of places open and unfortunately seen a lot of places close. Mm. And that first year can be a real deal breaker. So you've come through and my goodness, as I said, number 44 in World's 50 Best. What was it like to get that accolade? Oh, I mean, surprise, um, no. shock, elation. You haven't been um, open that long when it no, came through. No, not at all. Um, just just a couple of months. Um, but because I think we've we worked so hard on just being very honest with the entire experience, um, whether it be the food, the service, the drink, um, and it's just the, everything about it, the flavors, the whole, the whole experience is very different from mm-hmm. everybody else. And I think um, it, it took a little bit of uh, finagling to get uh, people to kind of understand that we're not your atypical Asian restaurant, Chinese restaurant, Japanese restaurant, and it's a very much so a very June's, very Chef Kelvin kind of experience. Um, and when people came, they, they, they enjoyed it. And we're just, again, we're very blessed. I think there's a real sense of fun about it as it well. Is. Does that sound, does that make sense to you? Because that's that's what I get from having spoken to people. Even you know the social media. There's there's this idea of enjoyment of food. There's not there's high quality produce, excellent execution, but it's not about snobbery or pretension. Exactly, that's the thing. Like I did, like I've in my career, I've spanned from ultra fine dining to four hour, you know, twenty course meals um, to street food and to like QSR types. Um, and again, the what you see around the market here, again, there's ultra luxury, ultra fun dining, beautiful restaurants. Some of my friends, chefs here who are doing insane food. And we just wanted to be a place that was just more about, you know, having fun and having fun with the food and having fun with your flavors and your palate and just enjoying every bite. I follow your son on Instagram. Is that weird? No, it's amazing. <laughs> no, he's turning five soon, is a real little foodie. And the pack lunch season stresses me out like no one's business, which is why Spinney's brought you in for the new Nourish magazine to come up with what what would a chef feed his kids that's going to be accessible for the rest of us to create. So tell us a little bit about what makes a good pack lunch, in your opinion, chef. So when it comes to kids' lunches, I think the problem is that a lot of parents tend to overthink it. Um, what you have to remember is the key goal is to obviously give as much nutritionally dense foods as possible, but it's also a sense of comfort for your child. Um, chef hours are very unkind. So it means me being able to cook and do things for him uh, makes it very difficult. So that's why meal planning is also very important. Now, said that, there's also days when I'm just swamped and my wife, Andrea, is just as busy, if not busier sometimes. And if it means the kid's going to get a slice of pizza and some gummy bears, that's where they're going to get. And... That's the part I think that stresses most parents out because they feel stressed that they're not giving kids nutrition and balanced diet and they're not giving them veggie sticks and such. I think they're overthinking it. And for us, we wanted to make sure that he had something familiar and it may not be a hot, fresh lunch. It may not be the the most uh, beautiful of meals, but it's something that he will recognize and something that he will find joy in. And that relationship with food is more important than what he's actually eating. I love that. I love the idea. And this stressed me out a lot when my kids were kind of weaning and it was like, you shouldn't eat this for lunch. It's like, you know what? Think about what your kid is eating over the course of a week. Think about, you know, what nutritional goals you're hitting, probably without even realizing it. And we were talking with Principal Lisa earlier this week about picky eating. And she was saying exactly that. A lot of kids just feel overwhelmed by when they open their lunchbox. It should be a case of, okay, I haven't got much time. I want to be talking with my friends. Let's just eat this and feel good about about it. So... As I said, you come up with some, I think, I want you to make my pack lunches <laughs> next week, Chef Calvin. Tell us a little bit about some of these recipes. Can we start with the stuffed seashell pasta? Yeah, I, again, so 
for him, um, he's obsessed with noodles. So any form of noodle is kind of his go-to, and pasta is incorporated into that. And this is something that you can make ahead of time, and even if it's not entirely hot, it's still easy to eat and familiar and delicious. So you just blanch off some large shells. Um, it can, doesn't have to be large shells. It can be whatever shells you find. It can even be normal pasta. Um, but we stuff it with uh, some cheese, whether it be ricotta cheese, again, your, whatever your kid likes. And that gives you your protein. That gives you your fat. Enough to balance out so they're not only getting carbs. And then you just put whatever jar of pasta sauce. If you can find uh, Spinney's has some beautiful organic uh, marinara sauce, just put a little bit of that on and you're ready to go. And you can make that in under 10 minutes and it doesn't require a lot of prep it's not a mess you can make the two shells just for that kid and you're done I'm going to go and buy some on my way home today (laughs) (laughs) you've also done some noodles and miso tell us about what we need to be putting together for this so this is where um, there's a kind of some tips and hacks that help especially for Bodhi who loves noodles and soup Um, so for us uh, for the Chinese culture broths and soups and bone broths are a huge part of our diet and nutrition and I keep a pot of bone broth on every day of the week. Do you uh, really? In your yeah. kitchen at home? I just put it in my uh, my slow cooker, my smart cooker, um, and I just leave it on. And then anytime you're cooking pasta, even shells, uh, noodles, rice, beans, lentils, anything, any vegetables, any sort of thing, instead of cooking in water, you just throw some bone broth on it. And it absorbs it. Okay, let's go back a step. If we want to do so, are you using it in a slow cooker? It's like an instant pot? Yeah, what are you doing? it's an instant pot. I see, I've got an instant pot and I've never used it. It's magic once you decide to use it. Yeah, it's freaking me out. It just sits there kind of taunting me every time I open the cupboard. So I think I need to be, I need to get past that. Uh, so bone broth, what's going in that pot and how long can we, how long does it take to kind of yield the results? So it only takes a couple hours, but what we do is, um, so generally, so this ties in for us as well. So I roast off two or three whole chickens, pull the meat off and for the parents, for the adults, and even for him, um, it's kind of like a go-to snack. Because instead of reaching for a bag of chips or for some junk, there's clean protein that we can just snack on. Then I put those bones into the Instapot, top it off with some water. And as you're cooking, whatever vegetable scraps, odds, ends, that goes in as well. So there's zero waste. You're getting free stock. And that just stays on. Any seasoning in there? So we, cooking at home, uh, we use very minimal seasoning um, just because we feel like if you're eating out, whatever processed stuff, whatever fast food stuff, even if you have to go to your Mickey D's or whatever, you'll get enough sodium everywhere else. So we cook very minimally with the amount of sodium that we cook at home. Um, And then when we're cooking his pasta or his noodles for this per se, um, we just cook it into the soup. Love this. We got a bit of protein, a bit of collagen, a bit of flavor. So with the noodles and miso then, Mm -hmm. is it pretty easy just to make a simple miso so Brothers. listen, if you're in a bind, um, again, at Spinney's, we found these uh, amazing organic ready noodles. So uh, in place of using their uh, entire seasoning packet in water, I just put the bone broth, added the noodles, whisked in a little bit of miso, and then just put whatever garnish. So for Bodhi, for his garnish, he likes the soft boiled egg, he likes the corn, he likes seaweed, and then you're done. I wish my kids liked seaweed, but thinking back, I probably never gave it to them. So mm. maybe, mm, yeah, I know. It's a conversation for another day. Staying with noodles, egg crepe. Noodles? Chef yeah. Kevin, tell us more. It's, it, it literally is just eggs. So almost every kid loves eggs. Yeah. And it's affordable, clean, beautiful, beautiful nutrition. So we just take scrambled eggs and we make paper-thin crepes with them. And you can whisk up a couple eggs, get your pan medium-high heat, add a drop of olive oil, butter, whatever you prefer, 
and then you just put in a thin layer. And then the moment it sets, we just pop it off. And from this is where you can play around with it. So since Bodhi likes noodles, once in a while, we want to add some extra protein for him. So we just julienne the noodles and they act as noodles for him. So this is like like the thinnest of omelets ever, ever, yeah. ever chopped up like noodles. Mm-hmm. And this, this doubles up as two meals for his week because one meal will do the noodles and one meal will use the crepes as a wrap. Oh, that's smart as well. So then we'll put some rice in it with some veggies and we'll just roll it up and he can have it almost like a burrito of sorts. What would you but, put inside? So for him, he likes sushi rice. So we'll put some sushi rice and then we'll put some cooked off mushrooms, a little bit of uh, whatever odds and end vegetables we have. And then sometimes we'll sneak in some ground meat. Can I, I'm going to steal one more recipe. Do you want to talk about the sweet potato fries or the one pot rice, Chef Calvin? Um, let's, so sweet potato fries, I think everybody knows. They're just baked fries, um, which is a good hack for kids. They don't know it's not fried. Um, but the one pot rice is something that we grew up eating, especially we came from a very poor background. We didn't have a lot of money and my parents worked full time. So they needed this kind of comfort, easy to make, one pot, no mess meal. And the trick is learning how to cook the rice um, which I, we can have the recipe we can put up for you. Um, but it's essentially five parts rice, four and a half parts of whatever liquid, the bone broth for us. And then as we uh, bring the pot to a simmer, we turn it all the way down and then we garnish it with everything. So sometimes it's chicken, sometimes it's beef, sometimes it's only vegetables. You put it in and you let it cook into the rice. Oh, nice. So that adds all the flavor, all the nutrition back into the rice. And there's no mess. There's no cleanup. All done in one pot. I love the sound of this. Now, if you obviously didn't catch all of this, it is in the new Nourish magazine. You can check that out now. Um, Some great recipes from Chef Kelvin. Before I let you get back to... Are you going back to the kitchen? Yeah, yeah, you are. Before I let you go back to the kitchen, tell us a little bit about some of your favourite dishes on the menu right now. If people are going to come to June's over the weekend, what are we eating? Definitely have the pani puri. Uh, um, uh, which is kind of my take on an Indian street snack. Um, everybody always has the carrots um, and the scallops. Um, and then if it's just you're coming by for a quick bite, we always have a great burger as well. Um, but definitely come in. And then we're also offering a daily tasting menu now. So you can oh, get, wow. yeah, so anytime in the uh, other week, you just come in and get kind of like a full June's experience with a tasting menu. Last question, and you cannot win this prize. <laughs> you are a friend of the show and you haven't messaged me on 4001. Chef Calvin, if I was going to give you 500 dirhams to spend in spinnies, and I know you've had a lot of shopping in there recently for your lunchbox inspiration, what would you be spending that money on? For us, definitely all that gorgeous produce that you can get there. Um, so I did hear you say cotton candy grapes. Uh, they're we're, so good. We're a huge fan of the grapes because they're just plump and juicy and sweet and, and it's amazing. Um, and we always stock our fridge with um, berries. So strawberries, blueberries, blackberries. Um, and then, of course, some snacks for Bodhi. And then down the aisle, I did see they also stock some mint chocolate chip ice cream, which is Bodhi's favorite. So. Sold. Chef Calvin, thank you so, so much. Where can we find you on Instagram? So Chef Keldon Chung, and then, of course, Bodhi is Bodhi Bites. There you go. Enjoy. As I said, great place to go this weekend, whether it's dinner tonight or a really lovely proper breakfast brunch. Some pancakes and maybe some things on the side as well. Chef Keldon, really appreciate your time. And, yeah, I'm going to be... I'm going to expect a DM about my Instacook. I need to figure out how to use this Damn. pot. Okay, you're a star. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're talking about what's on with Alex Holtham, the group editor at What's On online and on the shelves as well. It's um, 
It's getting busy, Alice. Do you know what, Helen? It is so nice to feel like the city's back, the food scene is back. Do you know, we've just been sending our our September issues to press this week and it's just felt so exciting to feel like... We're back in business. It's, it is definitely picked up in this last week. And we've, we've seen actually quite a few exciting new restaurant openings over the summer. You know, I think a lot of people are staying around. There's yes. been an opportunity to, you know, for restaurants to open, have a bit of a soft launch and get up to speed for when everyone's back in September. So there's certainly plenty to talk about. Before we talk about food, though, what's on the cover of the new issue? Can you tell us? Oh, I don't know if I can tell you, <gasps> okay. but it's one It's one I'm very, very excited about. It's, it's a little bit unique. It's a little bit out there and I'm, I'm very excited. So that will be out September 1st. Watch this space. So one of the restaurants that has opened recently and has been beloved by restaurant critics... I went in a few weeks ago. Shewam, have you been? I'm really glad we're starting here. Um, I have been. Um, I've been twice already, actually. Um, that's, that's high praise. Yeah, it really is. Um, Chef Hadrian, who is behind the menu, who I think a lot of foodies know in the city from his days at Inked, like he is, he's fantastic. And I think I maybe went in with this idea that Shewam, which is at the St. Regis Garden, the new de- uh, dining destination, St. Regis Garden. So it's, which is a great spot I, I, I confess it's lovely I didn't know it existed until I went to Shewam and there's uh, there's another place we're going to be talking about that's opening up next door beautiful rooftop absolutely independent entrance now and I think come the cooler months it's going to be gorgeous I, ca- I honestly can't wait there's a lot of really great restaurant concepts going in there um, and obviously Trace in Studio um, is already there and Shewam is, is sort of the next piece in their puzzle which opened as we say a couple of months ago now and, and Chef Hadrian the man behind the menu is is such a talent um, I think I sort of went in with this idea it was going to be a very French restaurant and mm. I was quite surprised by by the cuisine it's not French it's, it's sort of a real Dubai-influenced menu. Um, and, yeah, it's beautiful. What did you think? I really loved it because I, it kind of ticks a lot of boxes. I could see it being a great spot for a business lunch. I yes. could see it being a really good date destination. But equally, I went with friends. There were a few tables of six, eight people we left around midnight and some people were still going strong. Yes. Um, nowhere to hide, open kitchen. Chef Adrian really, like, just at tables, but, you know, the real... And I think often that can be a real mark of how successful a restaurant's going to be when you've got someone who's so passionate about it and someone who's so connected to the diners who is going out and not just checking dishes on the pass, but having conversations, you know, what's going well, what do you like? And having that sense of investment from their side, but also from the diner's point of view of like, oh, this is the... This is the guy. It makes you feel really special, yeah. right? You know, and, and that's exactly what we found as well. He goes round and he sort of touches every table and he's just chatting to guests. You he's kind of lovely. You feel like you're in his house. This yeah. is kind of what his dining room feels like. So what did you eat? Um, I had a couple couple of the dishes, the beef tartare, which I know sort of sounds like it's it's sort of a generic dish that goes on every menu, but the way Chef Hadrian does it with the wasabi is incredible. Um, and the scallop dish, I've actually, I've yeah, that was I didn't have it. My, uh, did you not? So I'm gonna have to go back. That was <laughs> yeah, go back for go back for the scallops, Helen, for sure. We loved. We had the the tartare. I had a really delicious salad that was. Um, some uh, fruit in there so fruit Very and cheese nice. the baked camembert really delicious uh, lamb short rib was excellent my favourite I am physically incapable of if I see any kind of lemon tart on a menu <laughs> I just have to order it and this yes. was one of the best I've ever had it was kind of like the Massimo Bottura oops I dropped the lemon tart kind of deconstructed yes I know the one super fresh absolutely loved it so Shewam is open 
now. Um, in ex- other exciting Asian flavour news, Oku is back. I know. And, and, you know, I think we maybe even talked about this when it first got announced. I think you and I have maybe had this conversation okay. before. So listen to this, right? Um. <laughs> For any any new new timers to Dubai, Oku, I had my first date with my husband there. Did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it was when it was in the H Hotel, yes. it was next door to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. My husband and I, when I worked at What's On Magazine, <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got set up with the guy. And it was like, looking back, we exchanged, first of all, um, emails and then just showing how old I am, BBM pins. Because <laughs> it was the time of Amazing. the Blackberry. <laughs> and then, yeah, he asked, he asked me out and we went to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse for dinner and then we went to Oku for drinks. And it became like actually somewhere that we went to quite a lot you know friends yes. in town they had a really good brunch we went to for a few yes. places and then it closed and I was like oh that feels like the bit of an end of a chapter of where you know I had a really special first date with my husband but you told me it's back where it's- when how <laughs> yes it is back um not at the H Hotel anymore if, if you're looking to head to Oku you now need to go to the Marriott Resort on the Palm Jumeirah which is becoming quite the foodie spot now I had a great Italian lunch there the other day at Cucina it was really delicious I went for the breakfast recently as well and really really enjoyed mm. it that whole hotel I think there's still a couple more concepts still to come but they they're really doing their their food and beverage well um and yes Oku is back and it is now found in the Marriott Resort Palm Jumeirah the same sort of very nice, sophisticated look and feel. Great, really extensive menu. The jellyfish tanks are back. I don't know if anyone remembers the jellyfish yes, tanks. I do. Um, so the jellyfish are back. Um, yeah, and it's and it's now found on on the Palm Jumeirah. Still in soft opening, but well worth checking out. Um, you've said there's a lovely new pub that's opened in JLT. That's right. Um, from the same team behind Mezzanine in Souk Madanat, it is called the Black Sheep. Um, and that is in the Pullman Hotel. Very lovely, cosy vibes. I've not really, I've not gone back to the UK this summer, so it felt like a real fix. taste of, yeah, that's where I've been getting my fix, and they do an amazing pie. Um, there was a delicious steak and onion pie when I last went, but I know it changes each oh, week, so. the sound of a good pie. All right, brilliant. Um, Din Tai Fung, when it opened in Dubai, I, it w- the only time I've seen more of a sensation was when Tim Hortons opened on Shakeside Road. And the Canadian population of the UAE flocked <laughs> for their Timbits and their coffee. Didn't I Fung opened, and I'd never heard of it. Um, but I had friends who'd lived in Asia who were obsessed with it. And it still consistently is full. Absolutely. You, like, we'll pop along for, oh, well, if you want to get some Din Tai Fung? And you go, actually, I should have planned that because they're going to give me a buzzer and we're not going to get a table for 45 minutes. If you're going to Mall of the Emirates, there's no chance. <laughs> no absolutely chance. no chance. I love it, though. I absolutely love it. My kids are now, I mean, regrettably for my bank balance, really into Din Tai Fung. <laughs> <laughs> there's, you know, a few more branches around town and they've got a new one, which is going to be licensed. Where? Yeah, this is very, very exciting. Din Tai Fung is so, so popular here. Um, and we've known about their new venue, which is coming up to Blue Waters. It's actually opening tomorrow. Um, so very, very exciting. So we've actually known about it for, for over a year now. Um, and and the team are, are, are finally opening this, this venue on Blue Waters in the wharf. Um, so that sort of indoor shopping mallie bit. So you don't have to go outside in the in the crazy um, heat at the minute uh, to get there. And yeah, it's going to be a licensed venue, which is obviously very new for Din Tai Fung in the region. It's quite a few things happening on Blue Water as well. They've got some um, bowling and games and it's 
it's all happening. So there you go, Din Tai Fung this weekend. I think that might go on. Are you, where are you going this weekend? Have you got any food plans? We've got we've got a couple of food plans actually this weekend. We're going to um, a new place or new-ish, relatively new place in JLT called Not Only Fish. Um, so I'm going to go and check out their new breakfast cool menu. Name. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm sort of discovering a lot more of JLT at the minute, and I'm really kind of enjoying the food scene in JLT. Has always been very very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also hoping to squeeze in a quick trip to the Guild before it opens for um, the public. It's opening to the public on September 8th, a long-awaited venue from the brilliant team behind uh, Tom and Serge. Um, so, yeah, Etex are opening, finally opening the Guild for dining from September 8th. If you missed our chat with Tom Arnell last week, the podcast is up. He is the man behind Etex, and as you said there, Tom of Tom and Serge, uh, I mean, some of us, Common Ground, Byron Bathers Splendor Club, Fields. Hawker Boy, and now the Guild. It is enormous in scale. And having spoken to him last week about the stages it's opening at. So now you've got your kind of coffee patisserie. Yes. Then, as you said, 8th of September, they're opening up what sounds like two spaces in the restaurant. So it's kind of wood fire, you know, grills, and then also the rock pool where they're going to have an indoor pool full of... Well, fish, and then also the opportunity. It just sounds incredible. And then going to have you know, some kind of bars down down the line as well. Will you report back on that? I absolutely will, Helen. Stay tuned. We were just talking about Shea Wham, which has opened on the palm to much acclaim. That's going to have a very famous neighbour as well. What's opening there? You've got uh, an Italian. That's right. So opening at the end of next month, we've got Senor Sassi, which um, is very popular in London, a sort of a very big name. It, it already exists here in the region in Riyadh. Um, and now it will land in Dubai next month uh, for, as a close neighbour to Shea Wham. So yes, from end of September, we'll be able to go and check out Senor Sassi. And from the renders that we've seen, the decor looks truly beautiful. Mm, watch the space. Now, it's the last weekend to take advantage of um, some very good prices for Summer Restaurant Week. Where have you spotted on the hit list and where should we be going this weekend to bag a bargain? Because the prices for some of the quality of food is phenomenal, Alice. Yeah, I totally agree, Helen. The uh, Summer Restaurant week, week is running until Sunday, so we've got this is the final weekend to check it out. And I really like how they've kind of picked some more, a few more homegrown restaurants to collaborate with this this time round. So um, lunchtime menus start from 95 dirhams and three-course dinner menus start from 150, which is really, really great. So a um, couple that are high on my list, Alici on Blue Waters, um, the Italian seafood restaurant is, is one of my favourite restaurants in the city 21 grams is on there which I, I know both you and I love um, and as well Boca in DIFC I absolutely adore Boca so I think I'm going to try and squeeze in one trip there that's Summer Restaurant Week um, you can find all of this online what's on .ae thank you so much thank for your you. time um, I will be paying very close attention to yes the new magazine that's coming out next week and B your socials because it's it's busy season. <laughs> it is. You guys have got the finger on the pulse. Thank you so much. Really, especially on press day, get back get back to the studio, get your red pen out, and start marking up those final proofs. <laughs> Thank you, Helen. Alice Holden speaking to us, group editor at What's On Magazine. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye one hundred three point eight with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Asking now, is it really possible to be environmentally friendly when you're running a restaurant from? 
packaging to food waste, there are challenges at every single stage. Sean Cordier is here today, exec chef at Cassette and Net, Paddler Club Matcher, and he is on a mission to make a difference, but with things that you might not even notice as a diner. Chef, it's great to have you with us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Before we start talking about what's happening with the planet and on the plate, if I was to give you 500 dirhams to spend in spinnies, what would be going into your trolley, Chef? Steak and crisps, 100%. Oh, Can't beat that. I'm so, I'm so happy you've said that because that probably would be my husband's as well. Good quality. We've had a few messages about tomahawk steaks, which they're... It's, it's hard to beat. Right. You can't win. You're a friend of the show. Oh, wait. Sorry. But before we get onto the planet, let's talk about what is on the plates at your restaurants. Tell us a little bit about the identity, the foodie philosophy, and I guess some of the star dishes at Cassette, and then we'll get to Nat. You know, the food philosophy at Cassette was just to create something that everybody wanted to enjoy. And I was allowed to free range, do whatever you want, have fun, and make it as colorful as possible. And that's what we did. Um, Key, food, key dishes on the menu is, especially off our new menu, um, would be the new Red Snapper. I think the colouring on the plate is amazing. I think the vibrance of the dish itself, our old menu, still stays the... You better never take the sandwich off with the dip. The beef sandwich? The beef, the beef sandwich. sandwich is staying on, but we've... What? We've played with it. Tell me more. You didn't ask permission to do this, chef. So I'm I did not ask permission. Go on, um, tell no, me. we we played around with it. I've changed the cheese that we're using in it, and we've added a little bit more spice to it. Um, but the structure, the body of it, still stays the same. Good. I'll report back. Um, <laughs> now I've seen cassette a lot over the last couple of weeks. My kids have been doing the camp at Courtyard Playhouse, and you're serving. I mean, breakfast was absolutely, you know, buzzing. But you're serving all the way through into the evening as well. The pastries are fantastic. Um, the sandwich and I love to think of it as being like a bit of an evening spot as well what about net it's a completely different identity you're there at Matcha so I think one of the most Instagrammable places in Dubai oh, yeah. how much did that come into play when you were creating the menu there and, and how did how, how do you differentiate it in your mind from what you're serving at Cassette net was basically a, a complete fun idea for us um, I was given the opportunity to come up with a concept for it and we created a French Japanese concept French to Japan have been around since the 1800s and they've always be, worked well. Japanese chefs come to um, France, France chefs go to Japan. And we try to infuse the dishes together. So we've created the Japanese French dip sandwich with the miso, miso braised beef brisket. Um, we've got the miso egg benedict with the miso holiday sauce. That's the one that everybody talks about. For me, it's probably the best. It's the miso burnt, burnt butter holiday sauce. I think the umami flavors, everything that just works fantastic. It works with everything. It works with the bacon, works with the salmon. It's my, one of my favorite dishes there. It also looks very pretty. So when everyone's there in their yoga outfits and got their little paddle outfits on, nice, uh, a nicely plated dish. And that's it, what much is all about. It is. It's, that's it, what it's all about. It's a vibe. My husband worked from there for a week and then because when it just opened and was like the food's been amazing the people watching things fantastic he's like I think we should play paddle there next week and he was genuinely disappointed that having just eaten and watched paddle for a week that he wasn't a superstar on the court <laughs> <laughs> it did not translate to performance unfortunately so I'm not a paddle player no. so I've never played the game I, just go for breakfast guys you don't need to worry about getting sweaty let's talk sustainability can I ask you chef do you what responsibility do you feel as a chef when it comes to striking that balance between Bottom line, flavor, and thinking about the environment. You know, I think it's, a, it's an important role for all of us, for every chef, for everybody in the world, um, to look at the sustainability of what they do. Um, for me personally, I want to try and keep the environment a little bit longer for my son, for my rest of our families, for our children. 
So for us, it's you know taking the not using more than plastic more than once, mm-hmm. um, th- things like that. But it's a ch- it's a choice, isn't it? Like it's it's not necessarily the easy route for for in, in in lots of ways in the kitchen. You know, it's not it's it's got to be this moment of going. Could I take the easy way or can I kind of challenge and go out of my way to find suppliers, to find materials, to find, you know, locally sourced food, for example. And a, a lot of chefs, for many reasons, choose not to. So I, th- I think it's it's great that you're kind of s- stepping up a little bit. Can you talk about what actually that looks like? Because we as, as diners might not realise what's been happening behind the scenes. To, uh, anything we could, I don't know, you tell me, packaging, what's what's going on? I mean, our packaging we use, we use uh, sugarcane packaging. So it's the extracts from the sugarcane. So it's the fibers that for all our takeaway containers. Our straws are made from cassava, which is a root, the tapioca. This is in the news, by the way, guys. Um, we just, I literally, I'm going to have to read it out because I saw it and I was like, I'm never going to be able to remember this. So in the news today, you know how everyone's been like, you know, ditch the plastic, have a paper straw instead. Apparently, <laughs> paper straws are now problematic, can potentially uh, toxic chemicals that can pose a risk to people, wildlife and the environment, a study has found. PFAS. Long-lasting, I, I mean, I just feel like, oh, come on, can we not have anything? So you're not even think worried about paper straws because you're using... No, we cassava. use cassava. What's that? So cassava is a uh, root plant like from starch. the tapioca. Starch. Which, if it's in a very hot temperature, it will melt. So it completely disintegrates. Wow, okay. This is like every day, every I day mean, is a school day. What about produce as well? I mean, we're coming out the back of summer now and, you know, hopefully... People have been able to do some growing over these few months, but we're getting into the season where we're starting to see some really lovely things here out of the UAE. How's that changed in your time in terms of choosing to work with suppliers and farms locally? I mean, I love the fact that we have local suppliers that produce locally made food for us. Um, It helps us out with developing menus and creating new ideas. Um, And so many of the places at the moment, you know, they're just coming up with stuff that when I was back home, I would have these things growing in the back garden and now you have them growing in an incubator mm-hmm. in some horizontal farm, which is amazing. I think it's awesome. Are there any um, ingredients you've been particularly impressed by that you're like, actually, this, this is, it's great it's growing locally. It's even better that it actually tastes good. I mean, uh, at the moment, we get produce from Innsbruck Farms. So all our lettuce, everything's from them. They produce microherbs that has coriander. Coriander, they have wasabi, they have red sorrel. It's an amazing little fay. And the fl- fact that they're so, so small, have such a punch of flavour in them. So it just works with all our dishes. Um, can we talk about what you're wearing, which isn't normally a question I would ask a chef in the studio, but this ties back to what we're talking about. Even your chef's jackets have got a nod to sustainability. Yes, our chef jackets are made from 100% recyclable polyester, which is made from old plastic drinking bottles. That's amazing. So, it, I, I guess a big part of it is finding those partners. We spoke last year to a chef out of the UK who's got a restaurant called Silo, and they're aiming to be the world's first like zero waste restaurant. He's like, we don't even have a bin in the kitchen. So I know, can you imagine? But he says a big part of it is educating the suppliers and going, if you want our business, you can't be bringing us our microherbs in plastic containers. You know, it's, it, it starts to be like a supply and demand. We if. We want to be doing this, but you've got to, you've got to help us. And yeah. it'd be interesting to see how that kind of develops here I mean, in the UAE. It's already going on. I mean, as I said, again, our, our, all our suppliers are delivered to us. Our herbs, microherbs, our lettuce, everything comes in recyclable bottles, recycle, uh, recyclable bags, recyclable cardboard boxes. So stuff we can always reuse. It is really, really impressive. Um, back to the food. 
last question for you, Chef. If we're coming into Cassette this weekend, it's at Courtyard, one of my favourite places in the UA. I just love, love, love that little... The shops are amazing. Done some serious damage in those shops. Courtyard Playhouse is there. Cassette is there. You mentioned the Red Snapper before. Can you put together a little menu for a starter main and maybe a dessert as well? Go on. Well... If it's me, yeah, go on. definitely going for the classic breakfast. I think that's probably one of the biggest breakfasts and it's the best breakfast that I've had so far. What's on the plate, chef? On the classic breakfast, it's baked beans, uh, potato lyonnaise, it's got beef bacon, chicken sausage, beef sausage, grilled tomato. Uh, it also comes with a slice of toast, brown <laughs> sourdough, and then you've got your choice of eggs. So that would be my my main meal if I had to start with that. <laughs> Yeah. My dessert would be the vegan pancakes. It's just a dish that I've had so much fun creating. And dessert, I'm a chocolate guy, so for me it's a chocolate tart. And you'll be rolling back out to your car. 100%. Sean Cordier, thank you so much for your time. Really interesting. And I think it's interesting about the dynamic of the ideas that suppliers are putting in front of chefs, the dishes that chefs are putting in front of diners and our demand as diners when it comes to tell us where our food is from and it all comes together hopefully for the good of the planet. And thank you for bringing to our attention. And yes, the jacket looks great. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You too. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, we love introducing you to the chefs, the restaurateurs, but we're going back a step. We're talking actual ingredients now. Truffles with... Massimo, the truffle man of Dubai, is in the studio. It's you know, you know everybody. You know all the chefs. Everyone loves you. Everyone loves your produce. And I was like, we need to have a proper chat. Oh, thank you, Alan, for having me here. My pleasure. Uh, I always listen to your programs and I see you around, follow you on Instagram. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy. Is I'm just finally finished uh, the vacations. And I went to see my supplier, my vendors in Europe, and now I'm back uh, charging up for the new season to come. It is, and it feels like Dubai is busy right now. Yeah, it's starting to started to see the people coming back. The school is starting soon. You are the truffle man of Dubai. Where, yes. did, where did this begin for you? When did you first start to become, well, I guess, interested in this ingredient? Well, it's, uh, it started when I, when I went to New York to study and um, I actually, to round up extra money, uh, I was doing the waiter in an Italian restaurant and uh, I know truffles because I'm Italian, I know truffles, but we didn't have a fridge full of truffles usually in my house or caviar. So I actually started to see then people were using this ingredient, this truffle, a lot in this Italian restaurant in New York, and they were charging more than a dollar a gram. And there was like, wow, that's, uh, that's interesting. And I've always been into marketing and selling. More than to actually going to look for truffles, I was actually into the fact of the marketing, the buying, the, the, the transporting, the importing, the actually dealing. Mm-hmm. Because it is kind of like being a truffle pusher, but in a legal way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we are the, doing it with something legal. <laughs> yeah, with a good product. And, <laughs> and, so, and because it's uh, very expensive and it's very interesting as, a, as, a, as an item itself, it loses weight, it's, it's super expensive, it's seasonal, it's wild. Uh, all that intrigued me a lot. And I started to bring it back to the restaurant where I was working and then chefs all know each other, word of mouth. I started to bring in two kilo, three kilo, five kilo. <gasps> then uh, I had friends flying over from Italy. Please stay a weekend with me in New York and bring for me, go pick up this truffle and bring it over. And that started uh, to become a business. Then I went to work in a company that actually do that for, 
for professionally I learn and then I open my company and then uh, that's it that's yeah. how I became the travel man uh, it's mostly because there was they, I found um, a supplier and a travel hunter found a travel or over a kilo was 1.3 kilo and that time was uh, unaware of like it was 20 years ago in 1997 in New York I brought him over they made a big uh, auction, uh, and, and, and from much? there, CNN, New York Times, they start to party, and I became the truffle man. How, what's the most expensive truffle you've ever sold? I sold the most expensive truffle was $350,000 at an auction. Uh, it was to Save Venice. So we, I get donated to a foundation called Save Venice, and in New York they raised, um, raised this money for... Uh, there was a time and there was a lot of floods, and half uh, of Venice was half water. I come from a town that is about 40 minutes from Venice, and so it was a perfect uh, combination. And uh, um, Mr. Kahn, I think it's called, from uh, one of the owners of uh, Macau hotels and casinos, wow. bought it and uh, became uh, a world, uh, world news. Sorry, say that. Say, say <laughs> this number again. How big was this truffle and how much did 1.3 kilo. And it sold uh, for? And it sold for $350,000. Oh, my word. Okay. And uh, but was, it's, it's, uh, these things are... Happened to me to find two truffles over a kilo in 32, 31 years now that I deal with truffles. Wow. Massimo, tell us, can we go even back even a, a step before that, about what is a truffle? I mean, when, we a think truffle it, when we think about how it grows, how it's harvested, the flavour profile, can you break it yeah, down for well, us? Um, I'll I do my best, okay, uh, for my knowledge. Uh, like it's, uh, it's, truffle, is, first of all, is uh, a tuber, uh, come from the fungi family. Um, it grows underground, so it grows about 10, 15 centimeters underground. So it's something that you cannot actually find naturally unless you really like you start to dig. Um, it works in symbiosis with the, with the roots of the plant. And um, when there is a copious amount of water, they actually, the truffle are used as storage for energy from certain kind of trees. It's a really a gift of God. It's something uh, that you cannot plant, you cannot uh, um, cultivate, especially the white truffle. Nobody yet found a way of farming it. I mean, you can find a, a land where uh, other truffles have been found, and so the mineral is correct. Uh, but truffles are really, really picky. If even a power line will make it, will make it disappear. I mean, uh, it, imagine, imagine you have to use dogs to, to find it because naturally only wild boar will look for truffle. Uh, we will dig and they will eat it. So you have to train the dogs like you train the dogs to find the cash or drugs at the airport. And, and, that, and, and that one is... Uh, um, and, and the truffle hunters are really passionate about it. They're really territorial also. So this is... So when you think about like the delicate... In, Very delicate. The, you know, the, the, how sensitive they are to their environment then. Super, super well, sensitive. Uh, they are... They are um, I mean, any kind of pollution, or you will not have any white truffles. Oh, this is amazing. Uh, uh, like if you have the 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 the, um, the, the water source mm -hmm. are polluted or something, you will not find any truffle. Um, usually, Italy has a big domain land. I mean, public land. Then are uh, then is a spinal is a spinal uh, like like a spine of the Italian. Mm -hmm. If you see from the Alps to all the way to the Apennini, all in the middle, that is all land owned by Italy. Uh, so you have reservation and you have people like uh, hunting. Uh, like for a hunting um, license, you apply for a truffle license and you go to find it. But it's actually land that belongs to almost everybody. So uh, wow. it's, if me and you go truffle hunting and we don't contact somebody local, we probably find uh, uh, big, our, tree, our, our tires cut, uh, uh, <laughs> block rows. Massimo, can I ask you about the flavor? Because there has been 
I feel like Dubai in particular, and we've been you've been here about twelve years. Yeah, I've been here longer. Yes. There was a period where Dubai just fell in love with truffle. I mean, you, I'm, I'm like, I'm, you, I'm very lucky. You I'm, are, but why do you? What is about the flavour? You know that you know that we as humans just because you can. You know, if someone's getting a truffle dish in a restaurant, you go, oh, yeah, it oh, creaks. I and want it's that. something like, um, it's I don't know, it's a mix between art, music. Okay, for for a truffle, for me. The flavor is an. You cannot explain really to somebody the truffle. Uh, at the, at the, when somebody tried the first time, either you have a reaction of you like it or you love it. See, sorry, you love it or you hate it. Um, is is a really no no gray area. Um, it's something that hits you, and uh, it's intriguing because uh, it's a bit of garlic, a bit of. Some people uh, say it smells like feet. Some people smell like sweat. Some people smell like. Uh, Trees. Some people does garlic. Uh, it, it, to everybody, um, with, from your culture, it, it hits you in a different way. And uh, and uh, but it is it is uh, um, known as uh, as being um, like to give you happiness, kind yes, of a, a, like a, a dopamine, a, like a dopamine. Yeah, it, it connects to, connect to your brain when you have a truffle. Also, the whole dinner change. You have uh, give you more appetite, but a bit like when you have oyster and champagne, or when you have. Uh, other kind of dishes that are more sexy, let's call it. Um, that's the effect of travel. And uh, I remember when I came over here 12 years ago, I didn't have a plan to open my own company. I actually wanted to work uh, uh, in some other distributor here. And they all rejected me. They told me, no, you're not to sell only truffle and caviar. There's not much market here. There's not gonna, you're not going to be sustainable. Wrong. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so thanks to, I want to thank, like, thanks to Chef Reef. I don't know if you know him. Chef Reef uh, used to be at Zoom at that time. Mm-hmm. And after everybody rejected me, I had uh, three kilos of truffle with me. And I went to knock on his door. He came up and looked. Uh, oh, these are good. Uh, he brought me to LPM because it was a sister Next company, yeah. and, and Riff called me the truffle man here. So I started to put it on the, on the thing, and, all, and thanks to him, and he's been my dear friend since then. Like uh, I said, you know everybody now. Yeah, uh, no, yes, I started. It's really, it's really, when I land here, I arrive and I saw, you know, the fountains. That's like the Bellagio in Las Vegas. To me, Dubai was, uh, oh my God, what is this? It's like uh, to be in, inside the bubble of, of, uh, of um, it was like a dream. It's like uh, to go inside the Burj Arab, you couldn't uh, or something. Now I go and I sell them, or the new Four Seasons, the new Royal Atlantic, uh, Atlantis. Uh, to me, it's like really a dream come true. I'm being considered. I'm very, very lucky. I, I took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a passion. Like, uh, to you know, to, 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 yes. I, so, sorry, I'm like. <laughs> no, no, no. Master, I wanted, I wanted a, to. A, I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm not shy. It's just emotion. No. <laughs> It's so lovely to meet someone who so clearly loves their job and must get so much reward from seeing, well, two stages, chefs understanding the quality of your produce and them getting excited. And then you've got the diners who are ordering and enjoying it. What's it like for you to work with different chefs who have got different cuisines, different cultures, how they use it uh, differently? One thing that is great in Dubai is also, okay, for example, I've always been lucky. I call it lucky. I have a talent with chefs. First of all, there is no... Uh, black and white. Uh, everything is black and white with a the chef. There's no gray area. And uh, so if something is either good or, or crap, 
<laughs> uh, that's, that's what I noticed with most of the top chefs. And in America, I work with uh, calibers of John George, uh, Thomas Keller, Nobu. I used to know Nobu when he just opened Nobu. Whoa. And Morimoto was his sous chef. Morimoto uh, <laughs> was his sous chef? <laughs> yes. And now, yes. I went to Tokyo to have a, uh, to, have a to, to revisit Tokyo now they reopen. And I went to meet again Nobu, Nobu-san. Uh, then it was the 16th anniversary of Nobu Tokyo. And he opened before in New York when he, when he was with the Nero. Uh, so it was like, uh, and a lot of also chefs from America are coming over here. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of chefs from Europe. Uh, but what I noticed, no matter what the caliber of big celebrity chef, when I started to sell to chef, there was no um, networks, there was no social network, there was New York Times, not even Michelin yet. And the star of New York Times or LA Times was the, the, the Michelin guide of, of that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and already they started to, to, to pick up and become more celebrity. And then with the Food Network, Bam! That was uh, instant, instant. Uh, Iron Chef. Yeah, Iron go. Chefs, uh, like all these guys. They're all old people that I know, but like here in in Dubai, um, I see them. I see the hype. I fly Emirates and I see them on the video. And there is uh, Gregoire or or, or Reef or 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 Fari guys. Uh, these these people are people that I deal with all the time. And, I, and you, I feel privileged for well, that. Well, and they, and they feel privileged to know you as well. My last question: I need to know. Your favorite way to cook or eat truffle? The easiest way. Sorry, if you take a truffle, um, you shave it. It could be on a sunny side up egg or a pasta with any, a butter. And, and that, that's the best way to eat truffle. When you've got uh, the best, that's, you, that's all you need to do. Um, you've got 366,000 followers on Instagram. If anyone wants to go over and see what Massimo, the truffle man, has been up to, you can find him at, shockingly, Truffle Man Dubai. It's been an absolute oh, thank you so much. pleasure. Yes. I've got a massive craving now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if you've got anything special in the green room, but thank you so much. It's thank been you. an thank you honor so much. to meet Love someone it. with such a passion for Thanks produce. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are taking you downtown now with Chef Mathis Grosjean. He's the head chef of Friends Grand Café in downtown. Been in Dubai just a year and survived his first Dubai summer. Uh, wonderful to have you with us, Chef, especially on a Friday when I know you're busy in the kitchen. How are you? Hello. Thank you for the invitation first. You're so, so welcome. It's uh, still good for me to come and to speak about uh, Friends and the busy, but for me it's important to speak about this one. Well, yeah. I want to hear about you before we start talking about the restaurant. Tell us about where you grew up and who was cooking in your family. What, where, what were some of the dishes that you were enjoying as a child? Uh, from my childhood, I think from my father, he was the, the man who was cooking, so all come from him. So I always uh, wanted to become in the kitchen or something very strictly like, I don't know, fireman or uh, army. It was something that I would like to do. Those are the choices. Chef, yes. what is fireman in, in, in French? Is it pompier in French? Yes, pompier. Yeah. So fireman, chef or in the army? Yes, something <laughs> like this. Okay. But <laughs> you narrowed it down. Uh, due to some uh, healthy problem, I cannot join okay. this. So we, I uh, went in the kitchen and I started uh, to work in a few restaurants as a Paul Bocuse, Taiwan restaurant or Bristol Hotel mm-hmm. in France. So I make my, sta- my career from commie to sous chef. Then I, um, I went and I, I opened my first uh, restaurant in Yekaterinburg, in Russia, in Ural. So I have been for five years there. 
And then after I joined Moscow and I uh, took Swiss Hotel Krasnikholm in Moscow where I was chef. And now I joined Dubai to opening this uh, new restaurant, Friend Grand Café in Danton. So you came obviously a few months before the opening, um, opened back in February and the interiors look phenomenal. What kind of challenge is it to start a concept from scratch what 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 comes first you know you see the architectural plans you speak to the people who have got the big idea how do you then get your point of view across as a head chef on the food front and making sure it all fits together when we made this uh, pre-opening so first we think with the owner about the restaurant the kitchen we search every every material for the kitchen and then we was working a lot of the for the menu because uh, the owner of the restaurant have very good knowledge about the kitchen. So together we was making some kind of uh, uh, cuisine, Mediterranean with French touch and Japanese. It's not fusion. Is I have my colleague who is in charge of Japanese, and me I am in part of Mediterranean. That's so interesting. So we are not fusion. We are Japanese and. Mediterranean with French touch. So you've got quite distinct menus, yes, quite yes. distinct dishes. Yes. That's, in, that's really interesting. So it's not a case of, you know, it's French with an Asian twist. It is, you can come and have a very Japanese meal or you can be going and having, you know, your, yes, French, your exactly. French flavors. Exactly. That's, that is really interesting because we were just talking earlier about training and how actually, you know, a lot of French chefs will go to Japan to train and, and, vice, and vice versa. Um, so it's interesting to think about thinking about them kind of coexisting. What I, are, sorry. I think it's just my personal opinion, but I think chef must be in one way. It cannot be like uh, universal and Japanese and French and Mediterranean. You know what you do perfectly, but if you start to be everywhere, you are nowhere. This mm-hmm. is my personal view. What is your own kind of philosophy on food when you're thinking about creating a dish? What, what do you want a diner to feel, to experience? What's your goal as a chef? For me, I think this coming from France, from the chef Paul Bocuse, for example, um, you need to, to read the plate. There is no more than five ingredients in the plate. She needs to be clearly understanding and not something that don't need. Mm-hmm. If you, I don't know, I want to eat, for example, frog legs with garlic and parsley. I want frog legs, garlic and parsley. I don't need to add some extra extra. So let's talk about the menu. Well, tell us a little bit about some of the star dishes that have, are going down really well with diners at Friends Grand Cafe. So in the Friends Grand Cafe, we have um, Japanese way. We make perfectly sushi, sashimi and, uh, and roll. And uh, from Mediterranean way with French touch, we make uh, foie gras. is very good, uh, good frog legs, very good moving. I don't think there are many places in Dubai that have frog's legs. I don't know. I don't think but so. But it's uh, something with very good uh, moving and people often coming and I want to try and then other plates. So they start with one plate and order and order and order. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, start to be one of the best dish of, uh, of our venue. How do you say frog's legs in French? Cuisse de grenouille. Okay, I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> so how do you prepare it? You said garlic and parsley there. Is, is that how you're serving yes. it? Yes, yes. So super simple. And I think that's... I think that's a sign of a real confidence in, in your abilities, but also confidence in the produce that you're serving 
great ingredients that don't need, you know, all these yes. this, these extra extra pieces. But I've heard there is an element of performance in a few of the dishes there. We're showing off some of the cutting skills, the bluefin tuna. Tell us a little bit about that theatre. Yes, exactly. Uh, ingredient is good, but the technique is very important uh, for making the sauce, for cutting the product when my... Uh, Uh, colleague or me, we are cutting like bluefin tuna, or we are making uh, some foie gras. We need to cook uh, perfectly, not overcook, no less cook. This is all process that cooker need to learn from commie until chef, and this is the main thing for make good recipe. And tell us a little bit about the vibe. What what kind of clientele is there? Is there a little kind of after party feel? How is it all going when when things uh, on a busy Friday night? Uh, it will be not starting on a Friday night, but it starts on the morning because we have like of um, kind of Parisian uh, terrace with very nice view on Burj Khalifa. Ooh, so you can come having a breakfast, French breakfast, like um, homemade croissant, everything, because my pastry chef is almost French. So good, 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 good. It's, it's good. Yes. So then you can come and have a lunch after you come. Before, have a very nice cocktail. We have a very beautiful bar, still Art Deco. So you can have cocktail and then you can sit for dining and then enjoy at the end of the evening with a bar and then again cocktail with DJ and life. So you have... We're spending all day there. Yes, you <laughs> can spend all your day if you want and you have not... It's not club, but it's for dining with a little vibe. A little fun. What about, de- what about dessert? Um, what, uh, what are some of the sweet ends to the meal that, that you love to serve? And for desserts um, in, you know, in the evening, what are some of the big hits? Um, we have two parts of dessert. We have one classic vitrine who is uh, made like Eclair, Paris-Brest, typical French. This is my lovely dessert, Paris-Brest, mm-hmm. my favorite. And then people can choose our uh, French pastry make Japanese dessert, classic, and Mediterranean classic dessert à la carte. So you have You can go choice. between. If someone just want to have like a very nice cappuccino on the bar with Eclair, he can have it. Then he jump on the restaurant, eat some sushi, sashimi, foie gras, an octopus, and then he can uh, ordering or a classic chocolate wasabi. It's a Japanese dessert or having um, apple fine tart, French tart. So it's Ooh, best of both worlds. Thank you so much for coming in, especially, as I said, on a Friday, because I'm pretty sure you're going to go straight back to the kitchen now. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes Chef. Chef Grosjean, thank you so much thank for coming you. in. It is Friends Grand Café right there downtown, as we've just been saying, breakfast, lunch, dinner and beyond. And I don't know about you, but I've got a bit of a hankering because I'm frog's legs now. I think I might need to come down and see what it's all about. Chef, thank you so much. Really thank appreciate you. your time. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.